Are you ready to hear from God this morning? I want to talk to you about what I feel like may be the most important topic. What do you talk about when you go to a church for the first time? I think I want to talk about the most important thing in life. In fact, I find it fascinating. I had no clue what Pastor Josh was going to be starting this Wednesday night. I'm going to be setting you up perfect. Isn't it amazing how God does stuff? I want to talk to you this morning about maintaining love. And I want to encourage you this morning. How many of you know everything there is to know about God? Let me see your hands. Everything there. Okay, so I, I propose to you that maybe we can learn something this morning. Amen? In fact, I hope to challenge some of your theology this morning, okay, because you don't have it right. <laughs> Neither do I, okay? Sometimes I will listen to sermons I preached 10 years ago, and I go, oh, no, you did not say that, please, no. Too bad it's recorded, right? In fact, I'll tell you 10 years from now, I will listen to this sermon that I'm going to preach to you this morning and go, oh, no, you did not say that. <laughs> but can I just challenge your paradigms a little bit this morning? Can we, can we unlearn some things this morning? Because here's what I know. It's not so much what you don't know that will hurt you. It's what you think you know that is not so that will hurt you. Because when you think you know something, you're no longer teachable. And I'm going to challenge some things for you this morning, okay? How many of you are ready to be challenged this morning? Come on, challenge. And, and ask the Holy Spirit to help us become more like him. Amen? In fact, I want, you, I want to start with Exodus chapter 34 because it's an amazing passage of Scripture. It's where God steps before Moses and, and he introduces himself to Moses. Okay? God, if you want to know who God is, he actually tells you very clearly in Scripture who he is. He actually introduces himself. And the reason why this is important to me is not only that I want to know who God is, but I also want to know who I'm supposed to be. Because I'm supposed to be like him. Hello, is that not true, church? Are we not supposed to become like Jesus? Right? So when I read about who is God, I'm also reading about who I'm supposed to be. So when we look at the description of God, as he describes himself, and I think he probably knows himself pretty good, we need to look at it all. First of all, is this my image of who he is? And secondly, is this who I portray who he is to everybody around me? Is this who I am? And if not, I need God to work on me. It's okay to say amen when my, okay, okay. Look, what, look how he describes himself to Moses. He says, I am the Lord, the Lord, I am compassionate. Aren't you glad he's compassionate? He is a gracious God, Amen. He is slow to anger. Aren't you grateful? None of us would be alive if he was quick to anger, right? We'd all be toast, right? He's slow to anger. He is abounding in love and faithfulness. And he is maintaining love. Say that with me. Maintaining love to thousands. He forgives wickedness rebellion and sin. We serve an awesome God. We serve an awesome God. And out of all those descriptions, I want to talk to you about the one that may be the most difficult to cultivate, and that is maintaining love. Because it's easy to fall in love, right? But it's more difficult to maintain love. Anybody that's been married more than three months understands that. <laughs> Hello, right? It, 
it's easy to fall in love, but it's very difficult to maintain love. And I personally believe that Jesus Christ is going to return again for the church. And I believe that we could very well be, in fact, I believe we are, in the last days. Anybody else think that maybe that's probably accurate? We are in the last days, that Jesus Christ could come back at any time. And if so, Jesus told us that in the last days, there was going to be a characteristic about the community that was going to be alive at that time. And it's found in Matthew chapter 24, verse 12. And it says this, because of the increase of wickedness. How many of you would agree there's an increase of wickedness? We are a confused nation. We don't even know what bathroom to use anymore. I mean, come on, is that not confusion? We don't even know what sex we are anymore. Listen, I don't, listen, listen, I'm not trying to be mean, okay? By the way, sexual sin is sexual sin, whether it's homosexual or heterosexual, okay? Whether you're fornicating outside of marriage or, you know, playing with yourself on pornography or whatever, all sin is sin, right? Okay? So don't get bent out of shape. But come on, I don't even have to have a Bible to prove that homosexuality is not natural. I don't have, listen, I love to deer hunt. I don't see bucks chasing bucks. Look at nature. Hello. And not only that, but I love puzzles. I've always, you can ask my mom, I've always been fascinated with puzzles. I love puzzles. The pieces don't fit. Hello, you got to get real creative. I don't need the Bible to prove how unnatural it is. But God, but God, listen, but because of an increase of wickedness, guess what happens? The love of most will grow cold. That ought to put the fear of God in you. It doesn't say the love of some. It doesn't say, you know, the love of some will grow cold. No, it says the love of most will grow cold. Because sin, sin will cause your love to grow cold. Let me put it this way. Sin will destroy love. If you are secretly sinning on your spouse, I guarantee it's destroying your love for them. However, love covers a multitude of sins. But sin destroys love. You don't sin against somebody you love and maintain that love. You start talking behind your friend's back. Guess what happens between your affection, between you and your friend? It begins to diminish. You start feeling weird and awkward when they're around you, right? And because there is wickedness in the world and rampant sin, love of most is beginning to grow cold and cold. And that's the reason why I believe the most important thing in our life is maintaining our love for the Lord Jesus Christ. One of the best things that ever happened to me, Pastor Josh, was when I first was called into ministry. I, I, I was called into ministry on January 18th. What's the date today? It's getting really close. January 18th, 1982 at 2 o'clock in the morning. I remember it vividly. It was, in the, it was in our trailer. I was sitting in the little red bing bing chair in a trailer in Milton, Florida when God called me into ministry. And I, one of the very first experiences I had was when my pastor took me to a district council, a, a gathering very similar to what we had here last night, uh, this weekend, 
a district council where all the pastors were together. And I'm sure that I didn't hear this accurately. I, I, I trust I didn't hear this accurately. But this is what my young 21, 22-year-old ears heard. As I'm sitting there quietly because I know that I'm the young buck and I need to be quiet and just listen. And I'm sitting there listening to one conversation after another as pastors were complaining about how difficult ministry was. And as they were complaining about how mean and cruel people could be and how they were sheep bit and stabbed in the back and, and woe is me, I wish I could do something else, blah, 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 blah. And again, I'm sure that was not accurate, but that's what my ears heard. And honestly, Randy, whenever I went home, when I went to the hotel room that night, I cried myself to sleep. And I said, God, this is not what I signed up for. I love you, and I want people to know the amazing God that I serve. And if that's what I'm going to become, I quit before I even start. And I have made it my personal agenda to stay in love with the Lord Jesus Christ, regardless of how big or effective my ministry might become or my name might ever be. Because it does not matter. And so I've made a vow to the Lord that I can honestly in all sincerity say, 35 years, I honestly believe I love the Lord more now than I ever have in my entire life. But it's something that you have to work at. Can you say amen to that? See, if I was to ask you, we've we got we to gotta stop evaluating certain things. I mean, we're, we're, we're just, we're weird. Christians are weird. If I was to ask you, how's your relationship with the Lord? You know where most of us would go in our head? If I was to say, how's your relationship with the Lord? Here's what you would go. You'd go, well, I... I haven't been too mean lately, and I, I haven't cussed too much, and I, I haven't seen too many dirty movies, and, and I haven't, and, and we start checking our sin list. Like, well, I guess I'm doing pretty good. I, I, I you know, I haven't sinned too much. It's almost like, you know, we, we think he's Santa Claus, you know, taking a list and checking his wife. Yeah. Listen, why do we evaluate our relationship with the Lord based upon how much we sin? If you was to ask me, how's your relationship with your wife, Jane? I wouldn't go, I guess it's not too bad. I only slapped her once this week and held hands with three women. Nah, we're, we're doing good. You would never, you would never do that. I would base my relationship with Jane according to how much communication, how much emotional attraction, how much, how much connection is going on between me and her. So when I talk about maintaining a relationship with the Lord, I'm not talking about, listen, God is, okay, paradigm shift. God didn't create you for obedience. Obedience was never God's goal for our life. A loving relationship is God's goal for our life. We are obedient because it comes out of a root of love. See, I, I don't have a hard time being faithful to my wife because I love her. And, and, and it's not like, oh man, I'd really love to kiss that woman over there, but oh, I'm married. Oh. 
you know, I'd, I'd love to sleep with that one over there, but oh, I'm married. No, Jack, I don't even think that way. Why? Because of my love for my wife. Are, are you following me? Some of us, we got the cart before the horse. We're, we're, we're concentrating on the wrong end of the equation. It's, almost, it's like, well, if I'm going to be a good Christian, I can't do this, and I can't do that, and I can't do the other. We, we've got it messed up. Listen, the fruit of, of love is obedience. That's what John was saying in 1 John chapter 5. He said, for this is what love is. He gives us the definition. Do I love God? Yes. How do I know that? Because I obey his commandments. And by the way, I love this. His commandments are not burdensome. When people come to me and they go, oh, pastor, it's so hard to serve God in 2017. I go, no, it's not. It's not hard to serve God in 2017. Oh, but there's so many temptations. Hello, there's a lot of beautiful women out there. It's not hard to stay faithful to my wife. When someone says, oh, it's so hard to serve God in 2017, you know what I'm thinking and what I sometimes say if I have a good enough relationship? No, it's not. You've got a love issue. You've got a love issue. Because when you love somebody, you don't hurt them. You don't disobey them. You, 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 don't, you, you serve them willingly and, and lovingly. See, we, we've got to stop concentrating on the fruit, what is seen, and we've got to start concentrating on the root, what God sees and what he looks at. He looks at the heart of man, not at the behavior. See, God's ultimate, let me put it this way, God's ultimate desire is for us to possess a heart of love that will quickly and easily abandon everything in order to follow him in utmost obedience. One of my absolute favorite characters in the Bible is David. If you hang around me, you hear me preach about David all the time. I love David. And, I, and ironically, you might find that my favorite passage about David is actually in the New Testament. It's, it's when in Acts chapter 13, I think it is, in Acts chapter 13 where, where God says, look at this, it says, after removing Saul, God made David his king, and God testified concerning him. Now, now stop there just for a moment. I want you to understand this is God testifying, okay? Listen, for me to say, Pastor Josh, he's awesome. He's great. He's all that. You know, listen, that's just one man's opinion about another man. I don't know his heart. And even if he was my best friend, and I was saying, man, let me tell you, man, let me tell you about Josh. Pastor Josh, he's great. I don't know what's really in his heart. But when God testifies about you, how many of you know he knows you better than you know yourself? Right? And look what God says. I mean, you're talking about get excited. I wish God would say this about me. You know what I'm saying? Look what God says about David, who knew David better than he knew himself. He said this, I have found David, the son of Jesse, and here's a man who's after my own heart. And he will do everything... I want him to do. I don't have to threaten him with hell to get him to do something. I don't have to threaten him with this, you know, with punishment if he doesn't follow through. No, he's so in love with me that I have to be careful of my thoughts because 
he, he wants to please me so much that he just, when he finds out what I want, he just runs and gives and does it. In fact, can I give you a, another insight to chew on? When God made Adam and Eve, God was speaking to himself. You know, there's three of them. And he says, let us make man after our image. Right? Say the word after. After. And God made Adam and Eve, and they looked like God. They behaved like God. There were, all, all of our emotions and everything comes from God. Okay? And, and, but Satan deceived them and lured them away from God, and they lost the image of God and took on the image of Satan. Fell from God, right? Disobeyed God. And from that time on, God's roaming to and fro looking for his image. Have you ever noticed? Okay, I'm sorry, ladies. Please forgive me. I'm going to apologize right now. But there are some babies... I look at them, and I go, that is not cute. Everybody looks at babies, oh, so cute. Oh, that's so cute. I look at some, and I go, that is one ugly baby. But the parents of that baby look at that baby, and they go, isn't he cute? You know why? Because that baby looks like them, and they're ugly too. You go, can you say that? I just did. But listen, but why is that baby so beautiful to them? By the way, your baby is beautiful, Randy. Why is that baby beautiful to them? Because they see their image in their child. And God looked down upon man, and he made him after his likeness. And he said, oh, but then man lost his likeness and became like Satan in rebellion and in sin. And God looked forever upon the face of the earth, looking for his reflection upon man, and could not find it. And then finally there was this guy named David that had such a heart for God and chased after God. He was after his heart so much, and he spent so much time with God that after a while he began to look like him. And so now he said, I see a man, I created man after my likeness, now I see another man after my own heart. I see my reflection in him. Are you seeing that? That's what you and I are supposed to be. We are supposed to be a reflection of the Lord Jesus Christ. How does that happen? As we spend time with him. Birds of a feather flock together, right? You, you, you become like that which you hang around with. And David, David hung around with God so much that one day he said, there I am! Oh, I love you, David! See, he loved David because of that. But can I tell you this morning, to keep your fire for God burning in our lives, we must cherish above everything else our time with God in what I call the secret place. This is where we got to hear from God that Pastor Josh is about to take you into. See, we got to cherish that time. And so I want you to turn with me to Matthew chapter 6. This passage of scripture is the very first teaching that Jesus gives on prayer. And I would propose to you, he kind of knows a little bit about prayer. <laughs> okay? Jesus 
actually does some teaching on prayer. And I want to point out some things. Don't let the familiarity of this passage rob you, okay? Because there's some things I guarantee you're going to learn this morning. You ready? Are you ready? Okay. Watch what Jesus says. And when you pray, notice it doesn't say if you decide to. First of all, God expects us to pray. It's just an expectation. And by the way, everybody does pray at one point or another. Okay, even atheists pray. Okay. But when you pray, it's an expectation. In fact, he's going to say it three times in this passage. When you pray, do not be like the hypocrite. So in other words, if you pray, you are at least as good as a hypocrite. <laughs> right? So don't get so cocky. I pray, Pastor. You don't need to talk to me about prayer. Well, great for you. At least we know you're at least as good as a hypocrite. Because hypocrites pray. Right? Hypocrites pray. And they, matter of fact, they love to pray. Hypocrites love to pray. But they love praying standing in the synagogue or on the street corners to be seen by men. And he said, I tell you the truth, they have received their reward in full. Verse 6. He goes on to say, and when you pray, the second time he says it, when you pray, go into your room and say it with me. Close the door. We're going to come back to that. And pray to your Father who is unseen, and then your Father. Don't you love that endearment term, that personal term? He's your Father. And when your Father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. You know one thing I know about God? God is terrible at keeping secrets. He really is. He can't do it. Because what he sees in secret will come out. If it's secret prayer, he's going to reward you openly. If it's secret sin, be sure of this, your sin will find you out. God can't keep secrets. Whatever is done in secret is going to come out. And he says, your father who sees what's done in secret will be rewarded. Verse 7, he goes on to say, and say it with me, when you pray. A third time, do not keep on babbling like pagans. So, hey. If you pray, you're as good as a hypocrite and a pagan. Because <laughs> pagans pray too. So don't get so snotty just because you think you've got a great prayer life. Because pagans pray and hypocrites pray. But he says, would you stop babbling? Say babbling. Oh, dear God. I, I, I used to be, I, I used to be like that three-year-old child when mama's in a conversation. And that little three-year-old child's tugging on mama's shirt, you know, or skirt, or pants. Mama, mama, mama. And she goes, hold on, baby. Mama, mama, mama. Hold on, baby. Mama, mama. Mommy, mommy's talking right now. Mama, mama. That's how I used to pray. God, 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 God. Stop babbling. Stop just talking words, for they think they're going to be heard. Why? Because of their many words. Don't be like them. And I love this statement. For your Father knows what you need before you even ask. Right? 
before you, listen, you don't need to tell him. Like, you, like, you know, I, I used to think I, I had to inform God of something he didn't know. God, I need you to save so-and-so. I need you to heal so-and-so. I had my list. I used to have a list. I used to have a list. Because I, I wanted to make sure that God, because God forgets things, you know. And, and, and God needs to be reminded. And so I have my list. God, you need to do this and you need to do that. If you listen to my prayer life, you'd be going, begin to wonder, who is God here? Because I'm telling him all the things he needs to do. God, you need to do this, you need to do that. I mean, it's like, who's the master, who's the servant? You need to do this, you need to do that, you need to do the other. And now I have learned, I think I know what I need to pray, but maybe I need to shut up and listen to what he has to say first. Because he knows what I need even better than what I do. Okay, and now I'm going to mess you up again. Are you ready to get messed up again? Because it doesn't matter what God says about you. Did not Jesus die for all men? Does he not want all to be saved? One day, the Lord's going to let me preach a sermon entitled, Stop Your Crying. God doesn't get what he wants either. It doesn't matter what he says about you until you agree with it and say it back to him. Mr. Sean, could you help me? Esther, do you mind giving your baby? Real quick. Let me show you what I'm talking about. Just real quick. Esther, Sean, sorry, buddy, but you are the devil. You're over here. Because Randy's my friend, and I know him better, and he is like Jesus. It doesn't matter. Come here. Come closer. My goodness. Okay. Listen, it doesn't matter what God says about me until I agree with what he says. he says. He says I'm worth dying for, and he died on the cross for my sin, but until I agree that I'm a sinner, and I agree that only the blood of Jesus can forgive me of my sin, and I come into agreement, I confess, which means to agree with the Lord Jesus Christ, then I shall be, thank you. It doesn't matter what the devil says. See, if I would have said that first, you would go, that's right, that's right. It doesn't matter what the devil says either. Unless, even as a Christian, I listen to his lies. And I come into agreement with it. Then I empower him with illegitimate authority that doesn't belong to him. Watch, watch, watch. Does not Colossians 2.15 say that at Calvary, Jesus embarrassed the snot out of Satan and stripped him of all authority? Did not Jesus, as he was leaving his disciples, say, all authority has been given unto me? Let me ask you a question. If he has all authority, how much does Satan have? You, you can't even say it out loud. Let me ask you again. How, if Jesus has all authority, how much does Satan have? Well, how come all these bad things are happening on the earth? Because Jesus comes in like a guy late at night in the, in the 7-Eleven store. He goes, I got a gun. Give me all your money. And the moment that you believe I have a gun, I now give you the authority. I now have the authority of a gun. I don't have Jack. But the moment you believe his lie, 
and you come into agreement with it, you now empower, give him authority and power over you. And it's illegitimate because all authority belongs to him. Thank you, guys. Catch that? Chew on it, chew on it, chew on it. Because we are all so petrified of the devil. I am not scared of the devil. I just am not. Okay? I will never forget the night. It was so funny. It was the night. It was during the Brownsville Revival. We had a lot of weird stuff happen during then. Two o'clock in the morning, my phone goes off. I pick up the phone. I'm laying in bed with my wife. And I hear this voice. Excuse me? I said, excuse me? Like, I'm going to kill you. I just went. My wife looks up. She goes, what in the world? I said, oh, just go to sleep, baby. Some nut out there. I didn't even, I went right back to sleep. Satan has no authority over me. Hello. He has no authority unless I believe it and buckle under a lie. We need to, find, listen, God knows what you need before you even ask. That's why you need to be here Wednesday night and learn how to hear his voice. Many of us don't even know the voice, how to hear his voice. Listen, in your notes, listen, doesn't it make sense? That if he knows what you need, then doesn't it make sense to ask him what you need and this to agree with him? So now my prayer time is completely different. I sit there and I don't have my list where I just got to tell God everything he needs to do. And if I don't, then he might not do it. You know, because he needs whatever. No, I, I, I sit there and I say, okay, Jesus, I, I've got some things in my heart that I, I want to cast upon you in a few minutes, but... I understand that you probably have a little bit more better insight than I do, so uh, could you tell me today what I need? And then when I hear him say something, I go, I agree with that. I come into agreement, and in the mouth of one, two witnesses, let a word be established. See that? In the mouth of two or three witnesses, let a, a word be established. He's the one, first one, I'm the second one. Every promise he said shall be done. He said yes to, he's just waiting for us to say the amen. Correct? You do know that passage of scripture, right? Doesn't matter how many promises he's made, they're all yes. And he's waiting for us to say the amen. He's the first witness. He's waiting for us to give the second witness. Are you catching this? See, here's what I'm trying to say this morning. The power of prayer is not convincing God of my agenda, but it's waiting upon him to hear his agenda so that I can stand in agreement with what he desires. In fact, in fact, let me go further than that. I love what Alfred McClure says. He says this, the purpose of prayer is not to get answers. The purpose of prayer is not to get things. The purpose of prayer is not to get anything, not even holiness. Valuable though they are, all of those are side effects. The purpose of prayer is to get acquainted with God. 
anything else is just a bonus. Wow. And when you look at what Jesus teaches on prayer, in verse 6, he te- the very first thing he teaches us on prayer is the need to enter into a secret place behind closed doors. And he says that we need to close the door. you got to close the door. And can I tell you, in 2017, there are a lot of doors out there. This is one of the worst ones right here. The moment you sit down to, to listen, whenever I, whenever I sit down to, to pray, I get my notepad out. I got a journal. This is not it. I get my Bible out. I find me a quiet place. I turn off everything. I don't even listen to worship music anymore because it's distracting to me. I get caught up in the music. I get it caught up in the words. I don't want some writer out there that may not even know God. He's just a good musician to, to put thoughts in my head. I want God to speak to me. I shut off everything. I turn my computer off. I turn my phone off. I turn my iPad off. The world can go on without me. It will one day. I close the door and I listen. I actually learned this from my wife. Because my wife, she's amazing. But she will not talk to me while I'm watching TV. She won't. And she'll say, I'm not going to compete with that television. Actually, she doesn't say it that way. She's a lot nicer than that. But she says, she'll just sit there. In fact, she's got me trained now, okay? So when she walks in the room, I just turn off the TV. Which can be really tough when you're right in the middle of a football game and it's really exciting, you know what I'm saying? But men, I want my wife to know that she's more important than even a football game. Turn it off. Because she will not talk until she knows I have, she has my attention. And I propose to you that God will not compete with other voices. And the reason why many of us never hear God speak is because we have too many voices going through our head constantly. In fact, we're afraid of silence. Can I propose to you the greatest test of the strength of a relationship is silence. I can get in the car with my wife and I can drive two hours and we don't have to say a thing because we have a great relationship. If I was to get in a car with Pastor Josh, whom I've only met, and we was to just drive 15 minutes, we're going to feel pressure to have to talk because If you don't talk for 15 seconds, there's this awkward silence. Why? Because Pastor Josh and I do not have a relationship yet. The the reason why a lot of us have a difficult time being still and know that God is God is because we have a poor relationship with God and the silence exposes it. Pentecostal churches are the worst. Because the moment there's an expression of worship that brings silence, all of a sudden we get antsy. And somebody's got to give a message in tongues or a prophecy or a shout or something. And you know what it is? It's because we don't have as good a relationship with God as we think we do. That's good preaching. 
The greatest test of your relationship is silence. And we need to learn how to get before God and close the door. See, the Lord abides in the secret place. He's waiting there for you and for me. He's waiting there. And the moment we enter into that place, we, we, we are in his presence. We, we've got to realize that he is in that secret place. I don't know where God is. I can tell you exactly where God is. He's in the secret place. And if you will pull away and wait upon him. Now listen, again, it's an honor to have my mom here. My mom and dad taught me as a kid. Dad more so than mom. And you'll understand in just a minute. And that's this. He said it this way. Children are to be seen and not heard. But basically what he was saying is, the most important person in the room should be speaking. And everybody else should be eagerly listening with honor and respect. And I want to ask you, whenever you go into the secret place and it's you and God, who's the most important person in that room? I think he's a little bit more important than I am. And maybe I need to shut up a little bit. And maybe I need to listen to what he might want to tell me instead of blabbing all the time. But here's our problem, church. Here's one of many problems. Here's our problem. Listening requires humility. We have to acknowledge that we are ignorant. And we've got to learn how to honor others and be willing to learn. We've got to realize that we haven't figured God out yet. I'm just amazed at Christians who go to church bored. I said this, I think, my first message here. They come to church and they're bored. They're sitting there going, how much longer is he going to preach? Dear God. As though they, they, they figured God out. Are you serious? Have you read the description of heaven? Where for all of eternity, angels have been astonished as they're going, Whoa! Wow! I haven't, we haven't seen that yet! This, ah, this is awesome! Ah, do it again! Ah, whoa! God is forever expanding. His kingdom's forever expanding. They're forever learning. They're forever like in amazement. But we got it all figured out down here. See, we got we to gotta humble ourselves and go, you know what, I don't know God near as much as I think I know him. But I want to know him. See, the Hebrew writer said it this way. Give me just a couple of minutes. Hebrews 3, 7 says this. So as the Holy Spirit says, today, if you hear his heart, voice. Can you say if? In other words, you're not guaranteed you're going to get to hear it. If you hear his voice, harden not your heart. See, we, we've got to stay fascinated with the voice of God. But much of our hearing his voice is based upon our will to hear it. We choose to hear him by setting aside time and waiting patiently behind closed doors. Let me tell you something. Here's what I've learned. Pastor Josh, I've done way too many funerals. Way too many funerals. And I'm always astonished because at that funeral, there'll be people who don't go to church. There'll be atheists, claimed atheists, who 
lost a dear loved one. And in their anguish, they cry out to God, God, please talk to me. And I am shocked. They always hear from God. I'm like, God, can you do that? Can you do that? Yes. You know why? Because he says, a broken and a contrite heart I will never despise. Before they never heard God in their life, but because they were so desperate and they were so broken and they were so willing, their world was shattered, they could hear, whereas before they never heard before. We've got to be so desperate. We've got to understand that man, I'm getting away from my notes just for a second, that man does not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds. There's two requirements. Listen, to hear from God, you've got to hear two requirements. And that's this. Number one is this. We've got to be willing to quiet ourselves long enough to listen. You hear me? Okay. This is not to stroke me whatsoever. Okay. Okay, I'm, 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 I'm poop, okay? But I spend my first hour every day being quiet before God. And every Thursday is my day of prayer and fasting. Nobody touches me on Thursday. And once a month, I go away for three days of prayer and fasting. I turn off my computer, my iPad, my iPhone, everything. And I sit down with my Bible and my notepad. And it is the most painful, excruciating experience of my life. Because I am addicted to electronics just like you are. And I have to go through detox for hours as I'm dying to myself. And I go, I will not give in. I'm going to get detoxed so that I can hear what God says. And it may be three hours, it may be seven hours, but eventually, all of a sudden, God begins to speak and I cannot write fast enough. And it may be five minutes, it may be three hours, and then all of a sudden, there's nothing. And then I just keep pressing again. Keep pressing again. Keep pressing again. Let me just say this. For years, my most intimate times with God was in worship services. For years, my, the peak of my experience with God was in worship services. Now, they don't even scratch the surface. If your most intimate time with your spouse is in public settings, you've got issues. It would be inappropriate for me in a public setting to describe to you my intimate times with my wife. How much more should my intimate times with Jesus far surpass the greatest worship service I've ever been in in public? paradigm shift. We've got to be quiet. Number two, we've got to be mature enough to get the information. Listen, if you are a parent and your five-year-old asks you where babies come from, please don't tell them. They're not ready for that information. You will mess them up. And sometimes we ask God for information that we're just not ready for. 
We're not as mature as we think we are. And God says, you know what? Great question. Hang on to that. In a few more years, whatever, I'll give you the answer. But you just are not ready for that one yet. He cares about us. Amen? Okay. So, isn't it true we all want God to listen to us? We want him to answer our prayers. We want him, we, we, we want him to do that. But can I tell you, it's contingent upon us first listening to him. Look what, look what Zechariah 7, 13 says. This is God speaking. When I called, they did not listen. And so when they called, I would not listen. This morning, listen, I got a prophetic word for somebody in this room right now. This morning as I was praying over this service, I heard the Holy Spirit say this. There's somebody here, you have a teenager in your home, and right now they won't listen to you, and you're very frustrated. And the Holy Spirit says the reason they will not listen to you is because they feel like that you will not listen to them. And if you will humble yourself as a parent and genuinely listen to them, I'm not talking about a little showboat. Okay, okay, talk to me. And you're not really listening. I didn't say you had to agree with them. But I don't know a person ever in my life that I have genuinely listened to them who was not then willing to listen to me after I listened to them. And can I tell you something? God's the same way. He says, I, be, I keep trying to talk to you and you won't listen to me. Why should I listen to you? We got to learn. We got to learn submission to the Lord. But hearing God's voice must be vital to us. It's got to be desperation. He, he says in, in Matthew chapter 4, um, uh, hearing God's voice has to be, uh, uh, we have to be eager to listen. Because when we eagerly listen, we then will hear his voice. He said, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word. Can I tell you something? God's speaking every day. Our problem is we're not listening. He's speaking every day. I want to be so jealous for his word, what he's saying, that I, I, I don't want him to ever say something that I don't grab a hold of. Okay, I'm coming for a close. And worship team, you don't have to come this morning. We're going to really mess things up. Mark chapter 4, verse 24 says this. We always use this passage of scripture for offerings. It's probably not really talking about offerings. Watch what it says. Consider carefully what you hear. What you hear. You got to be careful what you hear. Okay? Because what you hear determines whether or not you have faith or, or doubt. Faith comes by hearing. Be careful what you hear, and with what measure you use, it will be measured to you. We love to use that for, uh, for offerings. It's not even talking about offerings, it's talking about hearing. It's talking about, it says, be careful what you hear. And with whatever measure you use to hear, that's how much you're going to hear. So if your prayer time is pulling out a little devotional, and while you're, you know, while you're talking to your children and, and family at breakfast time in the morning, you're reading your little daily bread thing, you know, and you're doing your little religious activity, or, or you know, you're, you're, you're checking off your Bible verse, and you know that, and you're... You know, you're just kind of listening to the news, maybe checking out the newspaper. Uh, can I tell you something? You're going to get squat out of that. God is not going to speak to you. It's not going to mean a thing to you. 
Why? Because you didn't use any measurement. You didn't use any effort whatsoever to hear from God. But if you will make an effort, God wants to speak to us more than we want to hear from him. I guarantee that. I guarantee that. But if you will make an effort to whatever measurement you use, it will then be measured back to you. See that? So that, let's say it this way. The measure I use to carefully hear, retain, and obey his word will determine the measure to which he will allow me to hear. Listen. If you're in school, you're in college, and the professor says, you're going to have a test on everything I say here today. You're going to have a test on Friday. You're going to have a notepad out, and you're going to be writing as much as you can of everything that professor is saying, and you're going to study it, and you're going to memorize it, hoping that you can pass the test on Friday. I find it fascinating that we don't even already bring our Bibles to church anymore. I find it fascinating that we can sit under anointed preaching and we're not even taking one note. Can I propose to you that what God says is infinitely more important than any professor is going to say in college? When you go to, and honestly, I am, I am coming for a close. I'm going to quit lying about that. I really am going to do it this time. Listen. If we go before God and we really believe that God's going to speak, Jack, I'm going to write it down. Because I don't have a very good memory. And I want to make sure I capture everything that God says. The measure we use will determine. I proposed to you, the Lord spoke to me years ago, and he said, Richard, Prayerlessness may be the first sign of pride and self-dependence. Because when we feel good about ourselves and confident about our future, we quickly trim back our time in the secret place. Isn't it true? When we're going through a hard time, we pray a lot, don't we? And when things are going really good, we go three or four days and we go, oh, I didn't read my Bible. And great. That may be the first sign of pride and self-dependency in our lives. Do you know what? Some of you, during my message today, the devil's been lying to you and telling you, well, I can't hear from God. I can't hear God's voice. That's not true. That's not true. In fact, Jesus said this. He said, my sheep hear my voice. I know them, and they follow me. We all can hear. We all can hear his voice. And we all have heard his voice. Some of you have heard his voice this morning. But here's what I know about God. A lot of times, he whispers. And the reason he whispers 